This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast, episode number one. I'm Bette Lucas, and I'm honored to welcome our guest today. She exemplifies living boldly. Jen Stevens was a proponent of fasting way before it was trendy. She lost over 80 pounds and decided to start writing about this new lifestyle. Three books later, Jin is considered a go-to in the fasting world. Besides her three books, Jin has a significant Facebook following. Her group membership totals over 300,000 people. Today, Jin is going to tell us about her journey. She is going to share a little bit more about what is intermittent fasting and also how she got the courage to start writing about it. I had the pleasure of being on Jen's podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, earlier this year. And now I have the even greater pleasure of welcoming Jen. Jen, I'm so glad you are here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be talking to you today, Bet. So, Jen, I feel like I know so much about your journey, and I'm sure there's so much I don't know, but so many of our guests may have never followed you on in your Facebook groups or read your books. So I'd love for you to share with us who is Jen and how did this all start? <laughs> well, I could talk about that for 50 years now. <laughs> So, um, well, let me go back and talk about a little bit about my journey with weight loss. And and it probably is going to sound familiar to so many of you. You know, a lot of people say they struggled with weight their whole life. Well, I did not. But I was always interested in all things diet because I watched my mother, who was a, a ballet teacher, a ballet dancer. I watched her struggle with her weight. And she was always counting calories or trying Weight Watchers. You know, this was back in the 70s and in the 80s. And so I had, I guess, a diet focused thinking just from my upbringing. But I was, I was tiny. I, you know, I'm small boned. I never had trouble with my weight. Went through puberty. You know, suddenly got some hips, but I still I wasn't you know stressed about my weight. I didn't worry about it. I just bought clothes that fit me, lived my life, ate food, no big deal. When I went to college, that was when I first you know got into a little bit of dieting because people are dieting around you, and right. so we would count calories here and there. I remember the after my freshman year of college, I had put on some weight. I came home and I was in a ballet class with that my mother was teaching. And one of the girls said, Oh, you really beefed up or something like that. You know, you put on some weight. I'm like, yikes, did I? Yeah. Cause I wasn't even, I wasn't used to looking at my body that way, but then all of a sudden, Oh, okay. So that was when I started with the calorie counting and I was able to over that summer, you know, lose the weight. And so I would pull out the calorie counting when I needed it. And it was pretty easy to stay within a you know, my clothes pretty much always fit. I continued the dieting journey as I, after I got out of college and, you know, I would stay within a range. I did low fat for a while. I was never really overweight. You know, I might would get up to just the verge of overweight and then I was able to get myself back down and I was able to do that, you know, yo-yoing, but with, I think the the range gradually started going a little higher. Like I would yo-yo up to a point that was a little bigger than I would go back down. It was like size 14 was really as far as I would let myself go. And then I would yo-yo back down. Then I had kids. My first son was born in 98. And right before I got pregnant, I was like, you know, 123 pounds. I was at a low point. I felt great. And then I got pregnant. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And of course, you know, gained weight during the pregnancy. But right after the pregnancy, I was able to get back down to a good weight. Then I got pregnant again. My two boys are 18 months apart. The second time I was pregnant, 
my weight got like with my first, the highest I got during pregnancy was like 163. Okay. But with the second one, I mean, that's not that big. No. With the second one, I got up into the 180s. And that those were numbers I'd never seen before on the scale. And I remember being in the hospital delivering and the nurse was like, how much do you weigh? And I'm like, I can't say in front of my husband. You know? right. <laughs> but right after that second child was born in 1999, I really started struggling more with my weight. You know, I settled in and I remember the day I, he, you know, I'd already had him. He was maybe a year old and I was weigh and I weighed like 163 one morning. And I'm like, that's the weight I weighed when I went to the hospital to deliver my first child. And here, you know, I am, this is where I, what I weigh now. So I really started trying to get the weight off and it suddenly wasn't as easy. The things I had done before weren't working. That's when I discovered doctors will write you prescriptions for diet pills. Right. You know, a friend of mine just suddenly was losing a lot of weight and she's like, Ooh, go see my doctor. And I'm like, fabulous. Sign me up for that. You know? So that's where, where it really began. I started taking diet pills. I was able to lose the weight with the diet pills. I felt awful, but (laughs) you know, I was on speed, right? Right. But it was legal. I got it from a doctor. So all those years that I was, you know, taking diet pills off and on, I was able to maintain my weight. But then I started to feel worse and worse. Uh You know, I started to feel like it was impacting my health. Right. So I stopped taking them. And I think that all those years of diet pills really messed up my metabolism because after that, I gained 50 pounds in a year and a half and finally was in the obese category. And it was like, yikes, you know, what's, what's happening here? Of course, now I know. I understand it. And from the years from 2005 to 2014, those were my real struggle with with weight years. I tried everything and would be able to get a little bit of weight off and then it would go right back up till eventually in 2014, I found myself at 210 pounds. You know, that 200 mark was something I, I felt like, I mean, I don't know, why is 199 better than 201? But it's just mentally that that 200 mark was something I just... Once I crossed it, I was like, okay, you know, it's time to do something about that. And so that's when, you know, I really, I had dabbled with intermittent fasting from 2009 to 2014 because I was trying all the things, but I never could see it as a lifestyle. I could never see it as something that, that you did, how you lived it. To me, it was just another one, a diet, another diet. Today I'm trying low carb. Today I'm trying low fat. Today I'm trying you know, shakes. Today I'm trying intermittent fasting. They were all just a list of things you tried. Finally, I made the shift to, oh, wait a minute. Intermittent fasting is really something you do for the rest of your life. You live it as a lifestyle. I need to shift my thinking. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was able to finally commit, lose the weight, get to my goal range. And that's where I've been ever since. You know, I think so many people can relate to this journey of, trying all the things. And then I love what you said about you were trying some of the things that used to work for you and then they no longer did. Right. And I find that that can be some of the most overwhelming, that, that feeling of defeat. Like I, what? This used to work. And, and then you watch the scale, like do that slow creep. Like, yeah. And, and and you feel helpless. There's nothing, there's nothing you could do. So my favorite one, Jen, was, did you ever do deal a meal back in the day? You know, I did not do deal a meal, but I remember Richard. It was Richard Simmons. Look, I could tell you everything. Every diet that came out prior to 2014, I could probably tell you everything about it. Right. <laughs> I know who wrote the book. I know who, because I looked at all of them. I didn't try them all because sometimes I would read them. And I'd be like, yeah, that one's not for me. I'm not going to do that. But I at least knew what they were. Well, sadly enough, I liked Deal a Meal when I was really young because I think I was enamored with like the cards and the colors. Oh, yeah. It looks fun. I remember. But it's so sad because I was doing it, I think, in high school. You know, and that's that's just so sad to think that looking back. But oh yeah, when I was in high school, I wasn't even overweight at all. And when I was in eleventh grade, I took a computer programming class. This is how how old I am. We were we were learning Basic. That's the name of the programming code, Basic. We were learning how to program, and you had to type it all in. And then we saved everything on cassette players. I mean, it was it was nuts. People probably listening haven't even seen a cassette player, but. We had to, for our final project, we had to write a program that did something. 
And my program was calorie counting. Oh my gosh. And you could like choose from your meals and it would add it up for you and tell you how many calories you ate. And it could be like, congratulations, you have enough calories left over to eat a brownie. Or I mean, it was like, (laughs) but I wasn't even overweight. And I wrote a computer program that was calorie counting. And now I'm like not a fan of calorie counting at all, but you know, my computer science teacher was like, this is amazing. You know? Look at you. Well, <laughs> and now my son is a computer programmer, which is actually kind of cool. But <laughs> maybe it was a foreshadowing of the Well, future. I think I, it's a skill. I, I think I would have been good at it, but I was good at basic. Yeah, we've come a long way. <laughs> so you tried inter- you tried doing intermittent fasting. You you realized it's a, it's a lifestyle. Tell us, you know, what is intermittent fasting? And I feel like you have a great simple and straightforward way of describing it. What is intermittent fasting? Well, the most common form of intermittent fasting, there, there are different ways you can do it. But the, when we say intermittent fasting, most people equate that to time-restricted eating, which is having a daily eating window. And most people that hear about it on the news, for example, or on a talk show, people start talking about something called 16-8. So probably some people have heard of intermittent fasting referred to with 16-8. And that just refers to, you know, we have 24 hours in a day for a certain period of the time you're fasting. And I mean, that's true for every single human alive, by the way. Every human alive has a part of the time of the day where you're fasting, you're asleep, right? right? Nobody's eating, you're fasting. So you wake up, like if you've ever had to have fasted blood work or have surgery and you have to go fasting, we all have that period of time. With intermittent fasting, we just extend it. So if you start with something like 16-8, you have 16 consecutive hours where you're fasting. And then the rest, the eight, the other eight are consecutive. And that's where you have your, what we call an eating window. And so 16-8 is a great way to get started. It's, it's not a weight loss window for a lot of people just because fat burning really ramps up between hours 18 and 24. Now, I am not saying everybody start off with 18 to 24 hour fast. You have to build up to it. But the whole idea is concentrating all of your eating into a window of time that works for your body. Wonderful. And when you were first doing it, did you notice rapid weight loss? Did it come slow? How How did the weight loss happen? That's a great question. And for me, the plan that works really well for me is 19-5, and that's a 19-hour fast and then a five-hour eating window. And it is not going to be rapid weight loss. That is just so important for everyone to understand. In fact, you might even gain a little weight in the beginning, which sounds crazy. You know, every, you know, quote, diet that we usually try, you have rapid weight loss that usually slows down, then you plateau, then you start to slowly regain. Well, intermittent fasting is the complete opposite of that. You might gain a little at first and then see no weight loss and then very, very slow weight loss, maybe a pound per week at the most. And then actually when I was doing it, as I got to my goal, I was actually losing at the rate of about two pounds a week and So it actually accelerated as my body got used to the intermittent fasting and as I tweaked it and I really worked on my food choices towards the end. And that really made a huge difference for me. So weight did not, weight loss did not slow. It actually got faster, (laughs) which is so unusual. Right. It's not going to be fast. Don't have expectations like drop three dress sizes by Tuesday. No. Right. And that's where I have found in my health journey I have found something very similar where fasting doesn't essentially provide me this two-day quick fix that's just going to gain right back. What I think is unique about fasting is that the weight is slow to come off, but it stays off. Right. And we are so used to this mentality that we can uh, gain or lose 10 pounds in a few days. And I think that's why so many of us are, are, are overweight and struggling on our journeys because our mentality is flawed. Well, I, I made a comment on someone's Facebook, something on Facebook recently and said that it someone had to like gain four pounds in two days or something on the scale. I want to reiterate that. And I said, good news, it's impossible to gain four pounds of fat in two days, (laughs) you know, or lose. You're not losing four pounds of fat in two days because that's, that's, you know, a lot of this is fluid balance plus the, the weight of the food in your system. 
So like, for example, I used to always try to do low carb, which doesn't work well for my body. I learned that over time. But, you know, your first few days, you would drop four pounds immediately. But that's fluid. Right. You know, and then as soon as you add the carbs back in, my weight would pop back up those exact same four pounds. You can't say, oh my gosh, I did intermittent fasting. And in the first week I lost 10 pounds. Well, you did not lose 10 pounds of fat. Your body released 10 pounds of fluid. And then you might have to catch up for a couple of weeks. You might lose nothing because your, your fluid balance is trying to get back into, you know, into play. So we don't lose that quickly, no matter what you're doing. And we also don't gain that quickly. And of course, like I said, I'm talking about fat. Exactly, exactly. I think that's such a good point. Jen, can you also explain what you consider fasting? What can you eat or drink or do when you are fasting? Because there's quite a bit of different information out there, oh, yeah. whether you're seeing it in the news, whether you know your friend Sally says she's fasting and drinking bone broth, but she's fasting. What do you recommend and what do you tell your your followers to do when they are fasting? That's that's a great question because you're right. There's so much conflicting information out there. And there was a journal article in the New England Journal of Medicine that came out December 26th talking about fasting and the health benefits. So it was all over all the news shows, all the morning shows. Everyone was talking about fasting. And when you watch it, though, the people say things like, yeah, and I put cream in my coffee and a little cream is fine. Or I drink bone broth and that's considered fasting. Or there's even one plan where they're like allowing you to have chia seeds in water and consider that fasting. And so it's really important to know why we fast. What is special about fasting versus just a regular low calorie diet? Why is it magical? And so I have a new book coming out June of 2020, June of this year. Right now it's available for pre-order. It's called Fast, Feast, Repeat. And when I'm explaining what I call the clean fast, there are three fasting goals. And when you know what the three fasting goals are, you know how to make them happen. One of our fasting goals is keeping insulin low. Now, I'm sure that listeners have heard of insulin in the framework of diabetes. You know, we know that diabetics have to take insulin because their bodies don't produce it properly. But we all, you know, unless you're a diabetic and not producing insulin, we all have insulin circulating through our bodies at all times. And insulin does a lot of different things in the body. But one thing that insulin does is it helps to regulate our blood glucose so that when you eat, insulin is released and the blood glucose is then shuttled into storage. That's what insulin does. But here's one thing that people don't know. When you have high levels of insulin, your body can't access your stored fat very well. Insulin is what we call anti-lipolytic. It's anti-fat burning. So high levels of circulating insulin means we're not going to be burning fat very well. So during the fast, we want to keep our insulin low. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't eat because eating makes us release insulin. So don't eat food. But also, here's the part that really changed my life was understanding this. After I read The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung, he explains to us in that book how not just, you know, eating a cookie causes your body to release insulin, but sweetness in your mouth. For example, a diet soda or adding stevia to your black coffee. Your brain tastes that sweetness and says, oop, food's coming. We have something called the cephalic insulin response and our body releases insulin in response to the calories that your body thinks is coming. But of course they don't come because you just had a zero calorie sweetener, but your brain doesn't understand that. You know, sweetness was associated with eating berries or having honey or having something with calories and you were going to need that insulin. So I think that keeping insulin constantly high is something that as a society we're doing now, because, you know, walk down the beverage aisle of Costco and you see the beverage section is like, 25% of the store back there, you know, it's got all your flavored waters and your sweetened this and your sweetened that and your water enhancers. So our brains are bombarded all day long with calories coming, calories coming. And so, you know, we're becoming as a society more insulin resistant and insulin resistance is the root of so many things. So we want to keep our insulin low. So you don't want to have anything that your brain might perceive as food incoming, sweetness, even, you know, I used to drink a lot of herbal teas during 
what I considered to be the fast because it, you know, I felt like it helped me get through it. You know, when I was white knuckling it to my eating window, like I loved apple cinnamon tea, right. Or like a, a raspberry tea. And, you know, you drink that your brain's like, Oh, here comes raspberries. Here comes apple cinnamon. So clear all that stuff. You only want to stick to bitter flavors, black coffee, plain tea, or, you know, plain water. That's not going to cause insulin release. Well, you know, I said three goals for fasting. One is keep our insulin low. That was one. Uh The second is burning stored fat. And of course, keeping insulin low helps us do that. But to access your stored fat, you don't want to put more fat in. So for example, your friend who's like, yeah, I get up and drink a big coffee in the morning with butter and MCT oil and coconut oil and cream and all of that in there, you know, fat isn't going to make you fat. Well, you know, <laughs> if you if you add a lot of extra fat, your body is going to store it. But also, if you're drinking a coffee that is full of added fat, you're gonna, your body's going to burn that, not your stored body fat. So you don't want to add fat to your coffee. It actually makes the fast harder, not easier over the long run. A lot of people don't believe that till they make the shift. So you don't want to add anything to your coffee at all, you know, for with fat. Also, the same thing applies to exogenous ketones. You know, a lot of people are talking about that now. And ketones are a source of energy for the body. And so if you take a ketone supplement, that's energy for your body. Your body's going to use that ketone supplement as energy versus making ketones from your stored body fat. So you don't want to take in any external energy during the fast. You want your body to be able to tap into your stored fat for fuel. And then as your body is adjusted to fasting, your body's going to turn your fat into ketones for your brain. And that's a great source of steady energy for your body. And the third fasting goal is keeping autophagy going. Autophagy is our body's recycling system that we all naturally have. And, you know, we all go through autophagy, whether you're fasting or not. You know, it's not like, you know, nobody has it unless you fast for three days. No, we all have autophagy, but fasting ramps it up. But taking in protein during the fast will turn off autophagy. Well, there's your bone broth right there. Bone broth's full of protein. So you don't want to take in anything with protein added during the fast. So keep insulin low, burn your stored fat, keep autophagy ramped up, stick to black coffee, plain tea, plain water. Right now I'm drinking a San Pellegrino. It's not the kind with added lemon or anything. Keep that out. I'm just fasting happily. Well, I think one of the points that a lot of people don't realize, and really earlier in my journey, I didn't realize it either, was that by not fasting what you call clean fasting, by not fasting clean, by putting cream in our coffee or by having that flavored sparkling water or that sweet orange tea, we actually make fasting harder, not So much harder. Yeah. You know, there was somebody in the Facebook group the other day, and these are my favorite kind of posts. And she was in the group. And to join my, my Facebook group, you have to agree that you're going to respect our guideline of the clean fast. Like we don't want people coming in and saying, well, I use cream and it works for me. No. If you want to use cream and it works for you, that's fine. Don't do it in my group. <laughs> do that right. somewhere else. You know, live your life. You're free to live it. But we believe that it makes fasting easier. So somebody joined the group and she'd been in there for a while and she she posted in her post. She said, you know, I joined the group and I was like, how dare these people try to control me with this? That sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to try it their way just to see because she'd been doing it for a while. She said, and then suddenly it was like magic. And I'm like, oh, oh, they're right. (laughs) We're not just trying to, you know, control you like control freaks. We want you to try it our way. And I actually have this in my new book, and it's called Take the Clean Fast Challenge. You know, you, you may be someone who's listening now that's, you know, done intermittent fasting for even for two years. And you chew gum every day, and you have mints, and you put cream in your coffee, and you've reached your goal weight, and you're fasting, and you think you feel fabulous. I would like to challenge you to take the Clean Fast Challenge and try it my way for one month. I love that. See how you feel. And then try to introduce back those things that you think were okay. You're going to realize they were not. Right. You're going to feel so much better without those things that you're going to be like, oh my goodness, Jen was right. 
I've never had anybody tell me that they tried the clean fast, did it for a good period of time, and then went back to their old ways and it was fine. I've never had anyone tell me that. Now, is there someone that that could be true for? Sure. Maybe. I don't know. I've just never heard it. Right. I always hear the opposite. People who said, I didn't believe you. And then they'll say, like, one day I tried, like somebody yesterday posted that she was about to open her window and she was on her way home. And so she likes to have apple cider vinegar in, you know, before her meals. So she drank some apple cider vinegar. She was about to eat, but then something happened and she couldn't eat for longer than she thought. And she got shaky and ravenous. And she was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't make it. So she's like, that taught me something right there. The clean fast really just feels different. And the reason I know is because I didn't know about it for the first part of my journey either. And I was putting stevia and I told you I was doing all that. And I was also suffering from some weight regain. I regained about eight pounds. Then I read the obesity code, said, oop, time to make a change. And then suddenly fasting was different. I lost those eight pounds I had regained, went on to lose two more jean sizes, even though I thought I was at goal. I wasn't. My body had more fat to lose. And then it's just been, you know, ever since. Now, Jen, the other question that I get a lot in our Facebook group is, what about moving your body and working out. Can I do that and fast? Or I can't possibly work out on an empty stomach. What do you tell people or what's your advice about moving your body? And and maybe if they enjoy working out, can they do that and fast? Well, here's something so cool that I just saw yesterday in the Facebook group. Someone made a comment that they are in a running group and they asked, do you eat before running or not? And in the running group, this is not an intermittent fasting group. It was a group of runners. Of the runners in the running group, like 93% of them said they run before eating. These are not intermittent fasters. These are just people who are runners. They wake up in the morning, they run before they eat. Right. So that was just very interesting to me. I'd never thought about that before. But when your body is first adjusting to intermittent fasting, you're probably going to have a harder time sticking with your normal routine of whatever working out you're doing. So keep that in mind. Take it easy at first. Once you're adjusted to intermittent fasting, you'll be able to do everything that you've been able to do before in the fasted state and you'll have so much energy. You don't need to eat before you work out. You've got energy on your thighs right there for you and your body knows how to tap into it once your body adjusts. I think that's such a good point. And I think it's really just mentally getting there. I used to think the same thing. And I often work out fasted. In fact, most of the time I do. And then there are times when I am a morning and, and midday window person. So I tend to open my window kind of between the 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. hour. And I actually close it around noon to one, depending on when I opened it. The largest part of my eating is really lunch. And I'm very different than most people. I, I right. realize most, most people are, are evening window people. But I tell people all the time, you just got to mentally get there. You can work out fasted, but like you said, it might take some baby steps. And like you and I both know, working out is so great for us, for our energy, for our self-confidence, for our strength, for our longevity. But at the end of the day, we can't outrun our forks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we have, sometimes we have that backwards now in today's society, like, I'm going to lose weight. I need to work out four hours a day, every day, seven days a week and kill myself. But we're not really doing the right things with our eating lifestyle. And I think that's what's so empowering about fasting is that I think fasting can work for the most active person to the least active person. Absolutely. And still show significant benefits in their life. And I think that's so powerful. Jen, I want to go back to your eating window. So your window that's kind of your sweet spot, you said is 19.5. What does your typical 19.5 look like? What time of day? What do you like to eat in your window? Do you ever not do a 19.5? I actually never count now. (laughs) So I no longer time my window or count my window or think about the time as far as like how long it is. So people now when people ask me how long is your window, I'm like, "Mm, um, two to six hours. I don't know. It varies. Like, for example, the other day, 
my husband and I had an appointment at 5.30 p.m. to meet someone to look at something. And so I was like, well, I'll just wait. We're going to go out to eat. So I didn't eat at all till after we were done. And it was probably 6.30. And then I ate my dinner. And then I was done by 7.30. Then I came home and had like some fruit. So my whole, it was probably an hour and 15 minutes or something. I don't know. That's very unusual, very short for me. Versus another day, Maybe you're hungry a little earlier than usual. So I might open my window at three o'clock with a snack, maybe some hummus and chips or something, some cheese and crackers or a salad, whatever I have, you know, avocado, guacamole, something like that. Or even like some leftovers. We had some soup for dinner, a really delicious soup. I might have some soup to open my window if it was leftover because I love leftovers. We don't usually have a lot of leftovers, but if we do... I like them. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Later we have dinner. You know, if I had something around three or four, you know, we eat dinner around 6.30 or 7 p.m. So it's been a few hours, but then I'll have, you know, I bake bread. I like to make homemade bread, homemade rolls. I'll have, you know, just a, a regular amount of dinner and then maybe a glass of wine. Although I'm delaying wine a little bit right now, I had a little bit more wine than I needed during the festive season. So (laughs) I'm having less wine right now. You and I share that. I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. It's amazing. Five days in a row of of delaying my wine till the weekend and my my post-holiday bloat was gone. It happened pretty quickly. So, but then a little bit after dinner, maybe an hour or so later, I might have, you know, a handful of dates. I love dates, you know, to close my window. And and then that's it. So, maybe it if it was a day where I had my window from 3 and then after dinner I had the dates, you know, maybe that would have a 5 to 6 hour window. But some days it might be three and some days it might be two and that day that it was one and a half or whatever. I don't worry about it. I eat until I'm satisfied. My goal is to never say, gosh, I'm still hungry, but oh, my window's closed. I can't have that. I mean, if I was legitimately hungry, I would have something else. Right. New Year's Eve, we ha- I had a really long window and I made myself an egg sandwich at 11 p.m. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I needed it because we, you know, we were drinking champagne and I also wanted to stay up till midnight and I did, I made it, which is not always true, but you know, it just really has turned into a flexible lifestyle. Now I want to point out, that's not how it started for me. There was a period of time where I really needed to be rigid as I developed the habit of intermittent fasting and I needed the guidelines of a five hour window. And I had an app that I used. My son actually developed an app for me and I would click open window on the app. And then it would let me know when my window was approaching the end of the five hours and I would close that window. And it was something psychological about opening and closing that window. And I was not going to reopen that window because I'd already closed it. I didn't want to have to reopen it. So that app really helped cement the habit. I don't need it anymore. But you have to, you know, I, I want to sell everybody on the fact that intermittent fasting is a flexible lifestyle but maybe not at first. At first, you may need to be a little more rigid with it until you develop the habits. Right. You know, it becomes something you don't have to think about. It becomes much more intuitive, I think. Right. And, but at first, you're right because it is such a different way of thinking. And Jen, I know this answer, but can you tell our listeners, do you count calories in your window? Nope. <laughs> I don't recommend anyone count calories because the more we've learned about calories, the more we understand that our bodies do not process that thing we call a calorie the same way. You know, we've all heard the saying, a calorie is a calorie. Well, that's a lie. Right. (laughs) And, you know, they've done studies, for example, with almonds. Our, you know, we have a certain amount of calories, you know, that we know are associated with almonds, but our body can't get 
that same amount of energy out of the almonds. We actually waste energy processing that food. So if you took, for example, and I did a lot of research for my my new book coming out. Let me talk about meat. Here's an example using meat. Let's take 100 calories of raw steak in a big slab and compare that to 100 calories of cooked steak. And then let's compare it to 100 calories of cooked hamburger meat. Okay. Your body is going to be able to access more of the 100 calories out of the cooked hamburger meat than it will from the 100 calories of raw steak. Because the raw steak, your body, first of all, it's it's not been cooked. I mean, I'm not suggesting people eat raw steak, but right. <laughs> knock yourself out if you want to. But <laughs> your body has to break that down in so many different ways. Versus, and plus, cooking food makes more of the calories accessible to our body. Right. So it's really impossible. I mean, I'm going to say that again. It is impossible to count calories and know how much energy your body is going to be able to extract from that food. I could not agree more. And I think that I love fasting because some days you're more hungry and some days you're less hungry. I think calorie counting is problematic specifically for me is because maybe that day I didn't need that much food. Right. Maybe Maybe that that day you only needed a thousand calories, which might sound crazy. That's we've always been told that's quote too low, but maybe your body burned a lot of your stored fat and you got a thousand calories of energy from your stored fat. Right. And I love thinking of like the fridge and the pantry and I can totally tell that there are some days where I am more hungry. I need more food. And there are some days, yesterday was a good example. I had a kind of a light day because the day before was kind of, I had eaten more. We had a company dinner. I had more food than I would normally have. And it's like my body sensed that. It wasn't me saying, oh, that's horrible that you ate at your company dinner and you had food and you had wine. No, it was literally, I could sense that that like was in my pantry and could be ex- accessed. And so right, yesterday, right. I just didn't need as much food. And I tell people all the time, if you're a busy, you know, working parent or you've got a lot going on, we don't need one more thing to track. And I love not having to count calories. I don't count macros. I don't. I do sometimes watch the time on my windows if I'm switching it around a lot. Like I, I owe to, you know, today is a morning evening, but let's say one day I'm, I'm switching it to a different window than I normally do just to keep myself accountable. Maybe I'll do that. Or every once in a while, I like to do a longer fast on a Monday because Monday is kind of my day where it just works really well for me to do that. And it's not for everybody, but I like to kind of fast through a Monday. And so I like to just watch it because it kind of, excites me on my app. And for listeners, a lot of us use the Life app or the Zero app, but I don't use it every day. But in, earlier in my journey, like you said, I did have to use it more often. Yeah, it really helps cement the habit. And sometimes people are like, what app do you use? And someone will say, the clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some people don't don't want an app. Don't, don't get an app if you don't think it helps. But it really helped me cement that habit. So you've just got to know yourself. And to me, there was no way I was going to eat something because I'd closed my app. Right. It just That was like, all right, I'm following the rules that I set for myself. You just have to know yourself and what works for you. Well, and I think that's such a, a good part of this journey for me is that like I know if I'm more active that week, if I am lifting more weights or different things, I tend to lengthen out my window a little bit more. If I'm not, I can I tend to shorten it a little bit more. Or I, you know, I feel like it's so flexible. Jen, do you work out? Do you how do you move your body? You know, I um was a teacher for 28 years and I got a lot of just exercise as a teacher walking around. You know, I would wear an Apple watch and I would get, you know, close to 10,000 steps, just working, living my life. Now that I work from home, I have to be more intentional about moving my body. So I, I don't do anything formal. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to, you know, get up and walk around, take a a short walk, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not really somebody, I don't go to the gym. I don't, I don't like a structured exercise program, but you know, I lift things like I go to Costco and buy San Pellegrino and I lift, (laughs) 
you know, the, the big case of it. And I enjoy moving my body and I can lift heavy things that I need to lift day to day. Like we just moved in August and I moved every one of those boxes, you know, I moved, I, as I packed, I moved them, you know, from one room of the house to the other. When we unpacked, I moved them. And so, you know, I have plenty of strength, but I don't do anything formal. I get the sense that you don't sit still a lot. No, I I actually have found myself sitting still more than I like to just because monitoring over 300,000 people on Facebook (laughs) (laughs) it does not happen easily, right? So, you know, but I'm also one of those people, you know, they do research on people who are fidgeters. Uh-huh. Who just expend a lot of energy just through their their motions of life. And that's me. I'm one of those people who just even if I'm sitting still, I'm wiggling my foot. You know, you know what I mean? I my brother is like that. I you sit <laughs> yeah. uh, so you sit next to him at church or at a movie or at dinner and he's 6'5, he's and he's got I don't know size 15 feet or something like that. And literally I'll be like, what is that shaking? You know, what's that? What? And it's him tapping his foot. Like he always is expending that energy. And well, I just think that that's so great for people to hear because again, I love to exercise, but I always tell people I love to exercise again. I'm really not doing it to lose weight because Some people go on these rigorous exercise journeys and they can't maintain them. And it's like, you know, it's like the biggest loser study that we all know about that where they're just exercising like crazy, restricting calories. And yes, they lose weight, but guess what? They gain it back. Yeah, they do. And I love your story because what you're doing is maintainable for the rest of your life. And, you know, every year that goes by, the more I realize it is. You know, I have been over five years. I've been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle nonstop now over five years. And I have been maintaining my weight for four years of that time. Wow. Almost five. You know, I March of 2015 is when I hit my goal. Wow. And I went on to lose more weight after that. But I had a goal. I wanted to be a certain weight. And I, you know, it was just a number I picked out of the air because it was 75 pounds down. And so I wanted to weigh 135. And I hit that in, in March of 2015. And so it's been almost five years as of today. And so, you know, how many people lose that much weight and maintain it for five years and beyond? And I'm also going through menopause. I'm 50. It's so impressive. It's really remarkable. Yeah. But but it's not a struggle. That's the thing I want. I don't have to. I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned I'm delaying wine a little bit. But I'm not delaying homemade bread. I'm not delaying, you know, I'm still eating delicious food. I'm not having to diet or ramp up any kind of special program. That's what's amazing. I think it helps food taste good again. Oh, yeah. It tastes good because there's no guilt. Right, right. I And I've so appreciated that. And then I can leave that meal saying, oh, that was so good. I can, now I can go. Like, I, I just feel like, it, it's not this, well, that didn't taste very good. That didn't satisfy me. And I feel like even if it gave me enough nutrition, maybe mentally it wasn't what could help me to not eat for a while and snack all the time. So I needed to snack all the time. And I think that's what the beautiful thing about fasting is, is I feel like it's one of the first times in my life where I'm satiated. I'm eating a diverse and plethora of different foods. Now, Jen, I think your story is so powerful, not just the fasting and not just your 300,000 people on Facebook groups, not that you just lost 80 pounds, but here you are a teacher. You've been a teacher for years and you're living this life. You're having results. You realize that maybe what we've been being told is wrong. You know, the tools that we in our tool belt to lose weight, to get healthy, all of these things maybe are wrong. When and how and and what inspired you to write a book? And I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. that's that's really that's the next part I want to hear about because maybe there's listeners here today that, you know, maybe they have an idea for a book, but they think, oh, I'm not a doctor of medicine, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. There's all those like negative thoughts in their minds. Right. And I just think, wow, how inspiring it is that 
you said, not only is this working for me, but I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to not just help others through maybe my Facebook groups, but I'm going to write about it. Tell us that story. You know, we all have a story to tell. Right. And and my book, Delay, Don't Deny, the first book I wrote, Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. You know, I'm upfront through the whole thing. I'm not a doctor. Don't take medical advice from me. Please don't. Right. <laughs> I'm not pretending to be someone that I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm an intelligent person. I'm a teacher. I have you know, three official college degrees. I have a, you know, teaching degree I ha- from Wake Forest University. I have a master's degree in science for teachers. It's called an interdisciplinary master of arts in natural sciences. It's a mouthful, but I have that from um, University of South Carolina. I have a doctorate in gifted education. You know, I know how to learn uh-huh. and I know how to research from, you know, from working on my dissertation and, I also know how to tell people information. I'm a teacher. So when I set out to write this book, I just wanted to help people figure out how to make it a lifestyle because that's what was missing out there. I mean, keep in mind, this was 2016 when I wrote the book. I I saw there was a hole in Mm. what was out there. There was no book that had the great information that I had learned from Jason Fung through the Obesity Code and, you know, about the practical how to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle. You know, I had already been managing my Facebook group, one of them, for a year. We had like 3,000 members (laughs) when I started writing my book. So that lets you know how much we've grown. You know, I wanted to have a book that had everything in it that you needed to know from everything I had gleaned from all the different sources, but also explained it in a way that was not intimidating or scary. I wanted you to know, you know, the reader to know that I'm a regular person, just like you. And here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Here's the science. You know, I have links to the science in there. You can go straight to the, you know, PubMed and read the study that I'm, I'm basing my recommendations on. You know, of course, check with your doctor if you have specific questions specific to you. But I thought that, you know, it was something that was was missing and that people needed. And so I I wrote the book. I put it out there. I self-published it. And that's really easy to do through Amazon's publishing platform. And there it went live. And I can just remember, you know, people in the groups were, were reading it. And then, you know, I can remember that first day I sold like a hundred books or something. <laughs> I was so thrilled. But it was, yeah, I had this large group of people and, you know, it took a long time. It wasn't an overnight success. And over time, the book has actually sold more and more copies every month as time goes on because people are reading it, they're finding it and they're recommending it to other people. So you, you know, you, you want to write something that people are going to want to read, that they're going to enjoy reading you know, I put humor in there because that's just the kind of person that I am. You know, I'm funny, I think. <laughs> and so I, I wanted it to be something people enjoyed reading, even if they didn't consider themselves to be a reader. And I think that that is why your book will continue and your other books will continue to be successful. And I just think that's so neat. So you write this book, you have only 3,000 in your Facebook. Now you have over 300,000. Tell us a little bit, you you mentioned your new book. Tell us a little bit about your second book. Well, my second book was Feast Without Fear. And I wrote that in 2017. And that was also self-published. Have you read that one, Bet? Did you read Feast Without Fear? I did read Feast Without Fear. And I think both of them are fabulous. I obviously recommend Delay, Don't Deny more regularly just because so many people I meet with and, and talk about fasting are really new to it. And it's such a well, great- Well, yeah, because that's what- Delay Don't Deny is about intermittent fasting. Feast Without Fear is not an intermittent fasting book. I have one chapter in there about intermittent fasting, and I get into autophagy and the the science of intermittent fasting a little bit more than I did in the original book, just because you know it was a year later and I knew more. <laughs> so right. I was able to add a little more detail. But Feast Without Fear is about food and choosing foods that work best for your body. And the reason I wrote it is because we have a lot of arguments in the Facebook groups about how people are supposed to eat. People are like, oh, everyone should be low carb. If you're not low carb, you're ruining your health. And then other people are like, no, I'm a vegetarian. If you're not vegetarian, you're ruining your health. And other people are like, well, I eat low fat. And if you're not eating low fat, you're ruining your health. And everyone could throw out studies and throw out diet books and 
you know, have science backing them up. And I'm like, well, how is it possible that people are getting healthy on all these different ways of eating? And are they lying? There has to be one best way to eat. And so that's why I write my second book, because I really wanted to figure it out. So I went to all the diet books and read what they said and looked at their claims. Here's a really interesting fact, though. I would read a claim in a diet book. Uh And the doctor would say, you know, studies show blah, blah, blah. And then they would have like, you know, a footnote where you go and look at the study. And I went to the study and I would read the study. I'm like, that's not what that study says. (laughs) So many. I mean, it's more than you think. I would like if people just like to have some fun. If you're a research nerd like me, play that game while you're reading a diet book. Go to the study when the doctor says, and everyone found blah, blah, blah. Go read that study. That is not what that study probably says. So I made a vow right there. I was never going to misrepresent a study. Now, is it possible that I have misinterpreted a study because of the fact that I'm not a trained, you know, whatever? Yes. Uh-huh. So I, I will say I could make a mistake, but I'm never going to purposefully misrepresent a study. And if I tell you what a study says, it's because that's what I have interpreted the study to say. So far, I've never had anybody come back and say, yes, that's not what the study says. You were wrong. (laughs) Right. right. So, in fact, I actually have had endocrinologists. This is really nutty. I've had endocrinologists reach out to me and say, you know, I'm an endocrinologist. I've been to medical school. And when I read your, when I read Delay, Don't Deny, I had light bulbs going off. Oh. And I'm like, wow. I mean, that's just kind of like amazing to me. Well, you're a teacher. Because you worry that you're going to make a mistake, you know, like I've made huge flaws, but you know, so far, knock on wood. (laughs) But yeah, Feast Without Fear, I I realized that there is no one best way to eat. And it goes down to our gut microbiomes and our genetics and so many different personal factors. Because you know how before we were talking about calories? Mm -hmm. Did you know that if you have a certain type of gut microbiome, you actually could extract more calories out of your food than someone else with a different gut microbiome. You could be eating exactly the same amount of food and your body gets more calories out of it than theirs does because your gut microbiome is is doing, you know, that processing for you. Those little guys that live in our gut. So if you're the kind of person who feels like you just can't eat as much as everybody else, what's wrong with you? You're probably right. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Our bodies are so complex. And one thing that I sense from you, Jen, and I think this is why your Facebook groups grow, your following continues to grow, is because I believe you said one time, when somebody tells me something works for them, I believe them. And I love that because that is the challenge that I think we all need to take every day. Is what we are doing working for us? If so, great. And working for us can mean how's our energy? How's our sleeping? How's our our moods? Not just what the scale says. How's our waistline? How's our blood work? All of those things. But sometimes what I find is we don't ask those questions, but we're adamant that it has to be this way and only this way. And I think what you and I, I have one caveat. Can yeah. I give you my one caveat? Definitely. The only time I would challenge somebody with that statement is if they're not fasting clean. Because I would have sworn up and down that Stevia worked for me. I would have sworn it on a stack of Bibles. And then I learned about insulin. And then I took it out of my coffee. And then I realized the Stevia actually had not been working for me because <laughs> everything changed. So even if someone says that the you know not fasting clean is working for them, I challenge you still with the clean fast challenge because I think you're going to discover it actually isn't working for you as well as you think it is. That's the only caveat there. Oh, I love that. I think that that's a great thing. And I think we should all be challenged to just try it and see if it works. And in your new book, Jen, you're recommending kind of a 30-day clean fast. And just try There's a 28-day fast start. And the the F, the A, the S, the the T stand for for different things. Gosh, let's see if I can do it off the top of my head. I haven't looked at the book for a couple weeks (laughs) since it went through copy editing. F is fast clean. A is adjust. S is, oh gosh, what is it? Settle in. I can't remember. T is tweak. Now I've forgotten. All right. Sorry, y'all. Oh, that's <laughs> it's, it's, uh, Are you kidding me? So, 
you're managing so much, so many people. I mean, we were talking earlier today and Jin's had seen growth of almost 15,000 people in her different... In 12 days. We grew 15,000 in 12 days. It was nuts. We couldn't keep up. <laughs> so Jin, we're coming to the end. And I guess what would what would be your advice to someone who... I'm just putting myself in your shoes. You want to write this book, you've lost this weight, you're seeing that it's working for you. But this is at a time when not really anyone was talking about fasting. If anything, it it probably had a pretty negative connotation. And it still doesn't have a, you know, there's still people that think you're starving yourself. And, you know, there's those things still today. But I'm putting myself in, in your shoes back then. How did you get the confidence and what advice would you give to somebody who might be in, in your shoes as well to actually just do it? Write the book, do the thing, start the business. You can't let fear get in your way. Fear of perfection, fear of, you know, like for you, you started this podcast and it's it's scary. It is. You know, and I, I have a, a podcast that I do with someone else, with a co-host, but I have a solo podcast as well. And so that was also scary. Going out of your comfort zone is scary. But here's the worst thing that could happen. If I had written my book and it wasn't good and no one liked it, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I tried, right? But actually what happened is people did like it. And, you know, right after, right around the new year, one day it was number 33 of all books on Amazon. I'm not talking about weight loss books. It was number 33 of all books on Amazon right after the New England Journal of Medicine article came out because people were were looking for a book on intermittent fasting and they picked mine up. And so if I had let fear stop me, fear of feeling like I wasn't good enough to write this book, who am I? So I do get that criticism sometimes from people. They'll say, you know, why should you listen to Jen Stevens? Who is she? You know, she's not a doctor. Don't listen to her. And I, like I said, I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. You know, I am not an expert in human physiology and I am not a trained medical researcher. What I am is a teacher and I'm someone who has been around hundreds of thousands of people who are doing intermittent fasting. And I am somebody who has seen what tweaks people need to make in order to find success. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like your friend, Jen, who does intermittent fasting, who can give you some good advice, right? <laughs> right, right. And you live a real life. I do. Because sometimes that experience is, I don't want to say more powerful because I don't want to insult anyone who does, works in the health industry or medicine as a full-time job. But that is probably why your story is so powerful because you are like the neighbor next door who's found something that works and you just want to share it. And I literally am the neighbor next door. When we moved, (laughs) we found out that my neighbor listens to my podcast and knew who I was before I moved here. (laughs) So I am literally your neighbor next door. I love that. (laughs) Well, Jen, today has been such a blessing. And I wish you were my neighbor next door. However, this podcast maybe would go for 10 hours. It's um, true. If that was the case. I would love to be your neighbor next door, Beth. Yes. <laughs> so Jen, on an ending note, if people want to find you, please tell us how to do that. Where can we find more Jen Stevens and more information on intermittent fasting? Well, if you go to jenstevens.com, that's G-I-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S, Dot com. There are links to my books there, links to my podcasts. Intermittent fasting stories is where I would suggest you start out because you could listen to Beth's story plus, you know, 60-something, 70-something other people as of right now that are, are recorded more coming every week. So you can listen to real-life intermittent fasters and see what they have done to turn intermittent fasting into a successful lifestyle for them. If you're on Facebook, you can search for Delay, Don't Deny. And I have, you know, the regular group. I have an advanced group for people who have read the book. So you can find it, answer the membership questions, and join. We'd love to have you there. But I really would encourage anyone who wants to get started to read Delay, Don't Deny because it'll help you understand, you know, why we fast and how to turn it into a lifestyle for you. 
Wonderful. Well, Jen, I wish you all the success in the world. And thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you for listening today. For more motivation on living boldly, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, BetLucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.